today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson, and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Prime Minister is suing the opposition leader, Andrew Scheer, all in regard to the SNC-Lavalin affair. Will that make it go away? And soon you'll be able to tailgate in Ontario legally, just like the U.S. And tobacco versus marijuana. What are the health benefits and risks? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. We're going to talk about uh, the Prime Minister. This is a bizarre scenario in the sense that... uh, in the sense that, um, you know, prior to the weekend, the uh, the prime minister was was talking about the SNC Lavalin case and and accusing the opposition of just keeping this alive for nothing more than political reasons. Uh, and then over the course of the weekend, we find out that in fact the uh, prime minister's office, prime minister's lawyers, have threatened legal action against the leader of the opposition, Andrew Scheer, from the Conservatives. Here's what he had to say about it all. This now presents us with an opportunity, presents Canadians with an opportunity to have a legal proceeding that Liberals can't shut down, that they can't control, that they don't chair, that they can't outvote members of the opposition uh, to shut down investigations. And it will be done under oath. All right. To talk more about all of this, Howard Ramos is with us, Professor, Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology, Dalhousie University, and is with us now. Howard, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Scott. So tell us a little bit about this. Is this a threat? It's a lawsuit. What exactly do we have here? Well, at this point, I think we have a lot of political theater and a political stunt in in many regards. The the Trudeau government is certainly trying to close down the conversation. Uh, The notice that went to Scheer happened uh, before uh, Wilson Raybould and uh, Phil Pott were kicked out of the caucus. And uh, the reaction certainly just added oil to the fire, so to speak. Uh, Whether somebody's actually going to get sued, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not holding my breath for that to happen. Uh, but certainly that opened the story for another week of conversation about what's going on with this snc Lavalin affair. So, in fact, uh, as I mentioned prior to the weekend, it, it seemed that the, the, the Prime Minister was willing to move on from all of this. Does this, in fact, change the channel or just drag it out another week? Well, it certainly drags it out for another week. Whether or not there's staying power beyond that week is, is hard to say. Certainly the Conservatives are going to try to keep this story going as long as they can. Uh, because it's improved their polling, and it certainly creates some tension in terms of younger voters, NDP voters that would have voted Liberal, uh, as well as women who would have voted Liberal. Uh, and so it's to their advantage to keep the story uh, going as long as they can. And, and for the Liberals, uh, they certainly want to shut it down as quickly as possible. Uh, what is the purpose of the lawsuit? Is there any anything valid here, uh, or does this just keep it in the news? Well, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I can't speak to whether it's valid or not. Uh, it definitely keeps in the news. And I, I should note, it's not the first time a, a governing party or a prime minister has issued a lawsuit for libel uh, against the opposition. I believe that Harper did this, and I believe that Kretchen also did this. So it's a, a, a tactic that has been used in the past. It's probably not the wisest tactic if you're trying to shut down the story, uh, given that it just, you know, as, as Scheer did, he reacted by saying, sure, sue me. Uh, how do you think the Prime Minister's office is going to react to Scheer's reaction? It's hard to tell at this point. Uh, it seems that the Prime Minister's office has been scrambling uh, and, and searching for what to do in, in terms of the situation. Probably the best thing that they can do is, is to just let it die down and follow its own course uh, and let the, the procedures of the committee go forward and try to move the dial to focus on what they probably want to talk about, which is some of the things they've done during their mandate, as well as some of the goodies they've included in, in the federal budget, which has been completely ignored because of the SNC-Lavalin affair. Uh, you, you were mentioning that this was done prior, uh, this was set in motion a while ago. Do you think perhaps the Prime Minister's office or the Prime Minister's tone will change on this uh, the more that he sees this is just fanning the flames? Well, I, I certainly expect that the Liberal Party will be regrouping and, and thinking about how to pivot and readjust the messaging uh, so that they can go forward and during the summer months change the narrative to focus on the things that they want to highlight rather than the things that are, are distracting and, and leading to tension in terms of their support. Over the weekend, Jody Wild, uh, Wilson-Raybould asked if she thought uh, that this was uh, hurting her party and helping the Conservatives. Where does she go on all of this next? 
Well, this is a great question to ask. I believe there was some polling that was done in Vancouver that shows that uh, if she were to run again, she would uh, win by a sizable margin. So her uh, her credibility and her, her cash in terms of, of political uh, support is quite strong. Uh, and I think that, you know, what she's reflecting is very much... Uh, the narrative of doing politics differently. Uh, if you look at uh, other parliamentary democracies within cabinet and within the caucus, you can have dissent, and, and uh, this is an acceptable part of politics. In Canada, increasingly uh, with the Harper government and now with the Trudeau government, uh, the, the politic is being run increasingly out of the prime minister's office and is more top-down approach. So what she does next, it's hard to tell. Uh, I don't see her joining the Conservatives. Uh, whether she runs as an independent or leaves politics, it, it's hard to tell at this point. Is this story over for the most part, other than perhaps the lawsuit and then legal uh, uh, legal uh, positioning that has been done over the weekend with SNC-Lavalin and, and chatter of, of possibly getting the deal that Jody Wilson-Raybould had, had turned down? But other than that, the situation between Jane Philpott, Jody Wilson-Raybould, do you think that story has died down? Well, I think that the the level of interest in the story certainly can't sustain itself in the level that we've had over the last uh, two months. Uh, but I think that this is going to be a story that's going to be revisited time and time again during uh, the campaigns uh, over the summer and, and certainly during the debate, I expect, when the election is called, to, to see this being something that's brought up by all of the parties to try and uh, knock at the Liberals and to lock at the narrative of Trudeau uh, presenting himself as a feminist prime minister, as somebody who's doing it differently, because the real uh, thing that this shows is not that a crime is being committed, but that he uh, hasn't lived into what he is trying to project as his image of sunny ways and, and a different type of politic. Uh, as far as this story with Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, is that it for this story for the Prime Minister's office? Or does the rumor that SNC-Lavalin, uh, this floating around that SNC-Lavalin may in fact get a deal from the new Attorney General, does that keep this story alive? Well, certainly, if SNC-Lavalin gets a deal, uh, even if it doesn't get a deal, it's going to uh, trigger some interest in the story, and I imagine there will be some coverage. Uh, so the Liberals really are damned if they do and damned if they don't in terms of the specific case. Uh, if they're given a pardon, I expect that, or not a pardon, but a, a deferred prosecution agreement, uh, I would expect that all the parties will uh, lay into this and, and it'll open up another can of worms. So uh, the story is not going to go away. Uh, the tone of it perhaps will change, and, and it'll be really interesting to see also whether or not uh, the Conservatives can keep the pressure up without having a gap. If you look at some of uh, the politics in Alberta, for instance, uh, or you look at some of the politics in Ontario, uh, that it's a two-way street. So, you know, they're able to keep the pressure on now, but uh, as uh, you have more ultra-conservative people that are part of the party, stories come out and, and it can flip quite, quite quickly as well. Are you surprised that uh, the Prime Minister's office has uh, floated the, the trial balloons of even possibly giving SNC-Lavalin a deal? Are you surprised they just haven't dropped this and moved on? Well, again, I think they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They yeah. can't uh, get rid of this as, as an option. It's something that they brought in uh, as legislation. Uh, it's something that is done in the U.K., it's done in the U.S., so it certainly is an option that they have to look at. Um, so they can't just uh, wipe it away. What about the fact that this uh, prosecuting team has already looked at this and arrived at the conclusion that this that they don't they do not qualify for the deal? Um, so is this not over in that respect, or do you just keep changing attorney generals till you get a decision you want? Well, the, you know, this certainly can happen uh, in terms of changing the attorney generals, but this would be an unwise tactic for the liberals to take. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to predict what the future is going to be, but I expect that, you know, they're kind of backed into a corner of trying to let the process go as it as it goes and, and certainly pivot the narrative to say that they've done everything they can to try and uh, save jobs in Canada and, and protect a, an important uh, Canadian corporation. Uh, you know, they, they can't walk away from that uh, either as part of their narrative. So this is why, again, they're kind of stuck in, 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 in a bit of a trap here in terms of uh, what they're trying to project and, and also trying to respect the independence of, of the court. Uh, was going after Andrew Shear with a libel threat um, a, a smart thing to do, or um, should they be concentrating on other ways to distract us from this? 
Well, certainly uh, it created a, a situation where he was able to just walk into it and uh, create a press release on the weekend uh, to drive the news cycle for yet another week. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't an effective strategy, I, I don't think. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, if there is libel, the the government does have to push back to try and change the narrative. So, uh, you know, they're kind of stuck in the sense that the old-fashioned politic is to push back hard. Uh, a, a newer politic might be to let it uh, linger and, and, and kind of die on the vine, because uh, as they say, uh, in the news industry, it's not called old. Uh, so, you know, they, certainly every time they push back, they're giving more room for reaction and more room for discussion and, and more room for keeping the story going. Is there another solution or another way out for the Prime Minister? Many have said that, you know, an apology had, would have gone a long way at the very beginning of all of this. Uh, many have said too much water under the bridge uh, for that at this time. Um, is there a strategy for him moving forward? I mean, especially considering the popularity of these two candidates. Well, certainly it's too late for an apology after he's kicked both uh, Wilson-Raybould out and uh, Phil Pot out of the caucus. It would be very disingenuous to have an apology. Uh, certainly in the early going, uh, a quick story probably could have uh, made this a very short story. Uh, and this is something that the Prime Minister and those around him misread, uh, which kept this uh, as a two-month story, and, and I imagine it's going to be a story that's going to trail them through the election uh, and, until October, if it's called at that time. Uh, the Prime Minister obviously um, trying to be a lot of things to every man. D- does this make the Prime Minister, if he if he goes through with a deal with SNC-Lavalin, that he's pandering too much to Quebec? Not necessarily. I think that, you know, when you think about the business community more generally, with the Deferred Prosecution Agreement as a new agreement uh, that's been largely untested, uh, it's an agreement that can affect companies across Canada, including Western Canada, Ontario, etc. So certainly the company is based in Quebec, and it's something that would uh, affect the, the Quebec uh, news cycle and, and electorate, but it's also something that's broader than just Quebec. And it really, the way that the Liberal government can kind of pivot on this as a game to try and focus on some of the things that they've been doing in terms of some of their successes around uh, child care support, uh, around trying to bring in uh, support in the last budget uh, for uh, affordable housing and, and mortgages uh, for young people. Uh, and if they can really begin to push some of that, uh, it could potentially change the narrative into a space that they're, they're more comfortable with. Uh, does what has happened here politically change the stance for SNC-Lavalin? In other words, wow, you know, our name's been dragged through the mud here. Um, uh, we think that the, the, the public's uh, opinion may be, may be altered uh, because of the bad publicity surrounding all of this. Does this give them any more legal ammo? Well, I think that for, certainly for SNC-Lavalin in Canada, it doesn't do their brand very much good. And uh, internationally, it's hard to see how they're being read. Um, The rest of the world is paying attention to the company in ways that the company probably doesn't want attention paid to it. And I think that going forward, the company will always have to deal with allegations of corruption, allegations of this uh, affair. Uh, And and it's not going to be good for the company uh, in the the short term, for sure. And and it's hard to see what it will mean for the long term. Can they use the government's fumbling or perhaps mishandling of this to their advantage? They being SNC-Lavalin? Yeah. Uh, hard for me to say. I, I think that there's no great win for them. Uh, you know, certainly it, it helps them create a narrative if they want to push more internationally. Uh, currently, two-thirds of their labor force is outside of Canada already. So it's it certainly, if they want to have uh, a narrative that they're going to create for why they might exit Canada, this certainly gives them uh, something that they can uh, use as an excuse for why they might do that. How do you think this will, last question, how do you think this is going to affect uh, the next election campaign? Can the Prime Minister use the same campaign that he ran the first time? He certainly can. I think that what's going to be interesting to watch in uh, the next few months is this is going to largely be an election that I think is going to be driven between the Conservatives and the Liberals. Uh, The Conservatives are going to push the narrative of a government that uh, wasn't able to respond, a Prime Minister that flip-flops, that can't have a straight narrative. And the Liberals are going to try and push a narrative of, look, if you don't vote for us, you're going to get a Conservative government uh, that's going to be radically different than what we're going to do, that's going to bring a a, a politic that's in line with uh, Stephen Harper. And if you look at the the polling right now, uh, it's certainly not 
not helping the NDP. Uh, the Greens are, are not really moving very much. Uh, the the Maxime Bernier's party is, is insignificant. Uh, and what you do see is, is a lot of people who are unsure and undecided. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch how this happens uh, as it's really going to be a two-horse race, I think, in, in uh, the election. Howard Ramos has been with us, Professor, Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology, Dalhousie University. Howard, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ontario apparently looking at legalizing tailgating. Luke didn't know it was illegal. What can you and can you, and can you not do? I guess it depends what team, what town where you are, uh, but will this change the way we tailgate and will we be able to say we can do it now just like they do in the United States? We can do the same thing and not be arrested. You can smoke pot, but you can't tailgate. <laughs> yeah. Um, So Ontario's looking at legalizing this. Apparently this will all be part of the budget when it comes out in the next, uh, later on this month, I guess. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. And of course you can hear him right here every weeknight. He's with us now. Scott, thanks for the time as always. Much appreciated. No problem, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. Although I was sick for a while, but I'm, uh, well, you know what? You started it, I think. I think I did. That's uh, the studio where you're sitting right now. It's just a... it is more airtight than Chris Hadfield's spacesuit. Yeah, and so yeah. someone brings something in there, it's never leaving. There is a bug that will be in there now until 2064. I think I'm staring at something walking across the console now. I've never really <laughs> understood or seen that yeah. before. All right. Um, so will Canada ever be as good at tailgating as our friends in the United States? I mean, does this now make it possible to do exactly the same thing in Canada as they do in the U.S.? Well, let's, those, those are two different things, two or two, at least two separate questions. One is, are we ever going to be as good as the Americans? Define good. Like, what, what, good at what tailgating. Well, so when I go into Orchard Park and I see what's going on, it's like, wow, that's a freak show. Are we yeah. ever going to see that here? Well, see, now that's, that's the definition of good. Some people will say, and if you've been to a Buffalo Bills game, you'll know what we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. it, Scott, you chose the right words. It is a freak show. Uh, people are lighting tables on fire and jumping into them and doing. I mean, it's like it's crazy. Um, and you might, my using that only example, you may be giving people not a very accurate description the, of what's that's going. That's the that's the far end. That's of the far end of it. The the table jump or crush or whatever it is that's sort of added a whole new dimension to it. It has, and probably ninety eight point seven two percent of the antics are uh, the result of probably maybe a little bit of jet fuel that's been ingested into uh, into the participants, sure. which is what tailgating is really all about. And so my, my thing is, I'm all for this. I think this is, this is fine. I think this is great. I think it's one of those things that you say, look, if you can do this and you can be reasonably responsible and people aren't going to drive away from the tailgate parties drunk out of their minds on yeah. the road and other things, fine, be adults, let people do this. Because up until now, my understanding has been, this has been one of those situations where you're having an open can of beer or something outside the stadium. That's a no-no. You can have a, a cop come by and give you a ticket. That's really what they're talking about now. Behave like an adult, and we can treat you like an adult. And so there are two different things about you know, whether it will be as good as the Americans. There are places where tailgating is a terrific, wonderful, fun, very relatively innocent, but attractive part of the whole experience at a lot of college football games and stuff. It is, it is part of the day. You go down there and it's a whole day event. Is that going to be what now happens at a Ticat game, if that's the question? Uh, probably not. For a couple of reasons. One, we don't have the space around Tim Hortons Field. Yeah, again, you know, and at the end of the day, a uh, new stadium has less parking, it seems, than what the older ones did, and just location, location, location. So that may determine whether this works or not. In order to tailgate, one of the prerequisites is you need some place to tailgate. Yeah. And so that's, that's going to be a, a difficulty. Now, could you do it on someone's front lawn, I guess someone can now say, but you could always do that. You know, it's private property. Someone yeah. could always have, have sat in the front lawn and drank beer. So uh, I'm not exactly sure around here how the application is going to look, 
but it could be something. So uh, a better example, perhaps, would be down at the TFC games, down at Exhibition Place. Where, yeah. Remember at the Argos games a couple of years ago, that was the big promotion. We're going to have tailgating. Yep. The problem was, like so many other things, it was corporate-organized yeah. tailgating, which is the worst which basic means basically basically means you got to pay to get into the snow yes. fencing area and buy their booze. Yes, and right. it's and it's and it's 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 prefab. As I say, the, the, the great part about tailgating, if you've ever been to a tailgate yeah. party, is that it's not a corporate thing. Yeah, and so you make your own food, you have your you, own fun. You bring your barbecue, you bring your hibachi, you bring your beer, and it's a, it's a good time. So that'll be the place. That'll be one of the places where it'll be really interesting to see how this works is down at the Argo games and the TFC games where you have parking around. And I'm sure the police, you know, this is, I, I don't expect that this is going to be a case where the government says, you know what, we are now extracting all police and security from the area free for all. What no. they're going to do is they're going to keep an eye and make sure that people behave sure. in a reasonably coherent and competent manner. And as long as you're, not smashing car windows and again driving away drunk or whatever they'll leave you alone and and what's wrong with that well again look at how many people are doing it in buffalo look at the you know the size of the stadium there and and the numbers of people that are doing it there and they've had issues in the past but i would say they pretty much they've got it under control now they do have ride programs as you leave the stadium. So if you're going to be one of the idiots who decides you're going to do that, mm-hmm. uh, you will or could get nailed. You, you know who's going to be loving, I would think, the idea of this are some of the teams because there is a compelling argument to be made. If you look around in the States, that one of the things that draws people to games at times is the tailgating, is the experience outside the stadium as well as inside the stadium. So, again, I don't know... Where the Ticats fans be now that especially it used to be Scott Park, you could be in the parking lot across the street. That's not there anymore. Yeah, uh, I don't know where you're going to do it, but if you can find a spot, maybe that's now. Well, and everybody thing. else's front lawn where your cars park. But again, that's always been legal. Mm-hmm. If it's on private property, you've always been able to drink yeah. or have a barbecue on your private property. So, it will but see, it's not like we'll you see, see people tailgating on the front lawns of people's houses. I mean, you do, but not to the extent that, you know, again, it's it's a lot different than having a bazillion people in a parking lot. No, and so, you know, like for a Bulldogs game in the spring, if they're in the playoffs, is there some place down in that area now, some parking area that, you know, maybe in the Sir Johnny McDonald field or something? That you uh, we're even getting note, we're getting notes from people, and, and, you know, I was I was about to say this. Why not even just close off some of the streets that are around uh, the stadium? I mean, it's a residential area anyway. It's easy just to... to to close those streets down, but then again, that's that's other issues, I guess. But part of the whole tailgate thing is again, yeah. you bring your barbecue. You bring, do you really want to carry or roll? You want <laughs> roll to roll your barbecue, your barbecue down balsam? Half a kilometer. Yeah, really? I mean, get on the barbecue, son. Yeah. So the, I mean, there are look there, yeah. there are there are ways that this is going to have to be figured out still, and there are facilities that it's not going to be particularly useful for. Yeah. But it always has seemed to me that as long as you can behave yourself, the the over-conservative or over-protective, over-parenting of people is a little bit silly because there are plenty of places that have shown 99% of people can do this just fine and be adults and have a great time, and it's part of the event and it's part of the socializing and the communal sense of a sporting event or a concert, quite frankly. I mean, that could, it could be for concerts too. Yeah. Uh, it, why not? What's, what's, where's the harm as long as you behave? Uh, how much pressure are the the teams or the organizations or the stadium people or arena people or whatever? How much are they concerned? You know, we want them coming in here and eating and drinking our stuff. Well, of course, of course they do. Uh, have you been to a, a, a sporting event lately? Uh, the last one I was at was uh, a couple of weeks ago for a Toronto Rock game. So yes, now I don't know what they charge down at Toronto Rock games. But if the if the places, if the teams are concerned about this, they have themselves to blame. Because why do people yeah, really? want to why do people want to eat and drink outside the arenas? Because they don't want to pay to save about a hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. So you have two or three beers at a baseball game. You go to a Jays game and you have three beers. You could have bought a, a, a case. Yeah. Very you, true. If you are going to gouge people, I mean, really gouge people, they are going to look for ways to not be gouged, and yeah. so. I don't think people would have had a problem if beer had been five bucks 
at a game. And you go, yeah, I'll pay five bucks for a beer. It's, yeah. it's what I would pay at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. But when it's so much more, people are looking for an avenue not to have to do that. I, I only blame the teams for this problem if they have a problem. No, that's an absolutely uh, valid point. And uh, I was also reading that this year uh, at the stadium, they're looking for, uh, uh, this is in Toronto, they're actually trying to sell $5 beers. The normal size, 12-ounce beer, but there's only one kiosk per right. level. Right. And the college kids pretty much got that all lined up and, and, and sold yeah, it's gonna out. It's going to be laps. You're going to be, there's going to be like lines that's that go right. around the arena. Yeah. It'll be the bigger than the twice. washroom line. And so, and by the time you get there, it's like, well, it's the end of the seventh inning. We've got to cut off the taps. Sorry. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's not, it, and that's, that's a, that's a, a, they're just trying to get, show you, hey, we got $5 beer. No, not really. It's like when they say, we've got tickets for $2. How many of them? Yeah. Well, we've got 26 tickets in the arena that'll be 26, <laughs> but we can at least say then we've got $26 tickets. No, it, it's not, that's not how it works. No, it's People are going to get fed up with that $5 beer or whatever else. They're just going to end up buying the other stuff until they get fed up with it. So is this an announcement that's a lot about nothing, or does this actually give teams, organizations, a chance to step it up a bit? I think that it is, well, I don't know if it's an announcement about nothing. I mean, I suppose if you're not going to do anything, which is essentially what the announcement is, we are no longer going to be doing something. I guess it is kind of theoretically, literally, an announcement about nothing. But I think there are, if teams take this the way they should, if teams adopt this or, or embrace this, there's opportunities for some teams, assuming, yeah. again, they have the facilities and the parking and the areas around the arenas or the stadiums. They can do stuff with this. And they can, again, having been to enough places where tailgating is done, it is a lure even for people who aren't necessarily big fans of the sport yeah where you say look I, I i've argued for a long time scott that there's an awful lot of people that go to tfc soccer games not because they are diehard soccer fans because the atmosphere of about thirty thousand yeah. people dancing and jumping and singing and everything else is fun and so you don't even necessarily yeah. care what's going on on the field you want to be part of it i think the same can be said for tailgating you don't yeah. necessarily have to be a huge fan but I'll go to the game because I know I'll go and have a good time at the tailgate with my buddies, and then we'll go to the... This is something that if teams do this right and embrace this, yeah. it could work for them. Well, again, you know, you brought up the FC and, and, and Toronto Rock. Um, just happened to, ha- you know, someone had tickets for the Rock. That's how I, I probably wouldn't have said, hey, let's go to a Rock game, you know, unless somebody wanted to. Uh, it just sort of, you know, we, we fell into it. It turned out to be a great experience. I was totally Always pleasantly is. surprised. I couldn't believe that they had 12,000 people uh, watching this. And then the same thing a few years ago when I went to my first uh, Toronto FC game. It's like, my God, this is an incredible atmosphere. And and, and it's no wonder that, uh, that the, the, the sport that the organization is doing so well. Both those organizations have made it a fun time. And they're not big, expensive organizations. There's a lot of things about some of those that that work for them. Again, the the price point is good, and more than anything, you have to appeal to people who aren't necessarily major fans yeah. of your game or your sport. If you can get people who just say, you know what, I went and I had a great time. I may not yeah. have even known what the heck was going on on yeah. the floor or on the field, but man, that was a fun time, and I would do it again. If you can have people say that, you have won. You you have nailed it, and there are and it some proves, organizations that have done it. And it proves you can you can you know redesign the wheel. I mean, you're thinking how many times have we seen this? How many times? And you think you have to go to something bigger, harder, faster in order you know a, a higher level team, a higher level league in order to see something. This proves that the smaller sports, the smaller leagues, can do this if they put their minds to it. it again, both those examples, great shows. And one of the things about the about the NLL, about the, the lacrosse, that I, I give full credit for is that there's a lot of these leagues that they do that. They get people to buy in. They have people saying, this is wonderful. And then they start thinking, oh, well, we can start to charge a little more. We can start to yeah. become a little more expensive. And you lose sight of what got you there in the first place. And I would point to one of the ones where I've seen that before is with the UFC. And the UFC has changed, and I, you know, I, I, there are still moments in the UFC that I'm a fan, but it has changed a lot as far as being something that was very accessible and generally a, a price point people could go 
and it was very much for the people. Now it's it's a pretty expensive night out, and it's it, there's parts of it that you go, it's it's really grown, and you can't lose track. That you know there are others, uh, but NLL the, the lacrosse again. When I first saw a game years and years and years ago, it is very similar, and this is a compliment. This is not an insult. It's very similar to what you see now. They found what they did well. They found the price point, and they've stuck with it, and it's been to their success. So uh, is this just a football phenomenon? Will this translate into other sports? Um, you, you know, how, does this, how does this translate to the big city of Toronto? If there's a Leaf game, if there's an Argo game or an FC game, or if uh, there's a baseball game? Again, Scott, the number one thing you have to have before you can even begin to talk about this is do you have the area where someone could tailgate? And so at a Leaf game, where are you going to tailgate for the Leafs? I mean, it's a pretty tough thing. There are some places down, you know, by the lakeshore. Under the gardener. Under the gardener, yeah. <laughs> you, could, you, and the, you and the homeless guys. Who are the homeless the people, the and then ex- it'd be homeless people on one side and those bubble-up, pop-up restaurants on the other. Exactly. It, it, it's a... The, Toronto is going to be a tough one because even around the dome, there's not a lot of spots down there for yeah. this kind of thing. Uh, and, and again, you don't you don't want people to have to drag a barbecue all over the city because then you got to yeah. still take it back to your car before the game. The idea is you pop it out of the trunk, tailgating. There's a reason it's called this. You pop it out of the trunk or yeah. out of the back of the pickup, and you throw it back in. But there are certainly places that I could see junior hockey in this province, not necessarily Hamilton because of the location of the arena right now, but there are arenas around this province that I could see jumping on this in a huge way and saying when it gets to be nicer weather in the playoffs and stuff that Mm -hmm. we're going to have tailgating before our game, that would be a huge thing in some places around here. Um, Some of the, uh, at Ottawa, football perhaps, um, some other places, Toronto, the Argos, you would think so. It does. Yeah, this will tra- this idea. This will translate into other sports. Then you think that there's opportunity Absolutely. for everyone here. Yeah. If, you're, if they're smart, yeah. if they're smart, because this is a huge opportunity for them. You think any parking lot that's downtown theoretically could be one of these places? Of course it could. Yeah. Absolutely, it could, and that's exactly the kind of thing you need. So, so uh, again, if you're a, if you own a parking lot now. I guess now you can, the difference is you still have to get a permit or something for that. It's just now allowed. I guess we don't know the details of all of this yet. Well, I don't know if you'll need a permit. It doesn't sound, I mean, it doesn't necessarily sound like you will. There are still going to be driving laws. You still can't have open booze in your car. Yeah. Uh, So you got to be careful about how you do it. You can't be sitting in the driver's seat with your open beer. Even if the car is just sitting there playing music, you could still be charged for that. But um, it, we'll see. We'll see what the details are, but I, it sounds like it's going to be one of these things where there's no permit, where you can just do what you want. And again, we're going to trust you until you prove that you can't be trusted. Yeah. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how the organizations balance this. And you know, yeah, yeah, we'll do this, but you know, again, we'll just price the beer real cheap here, and and you know, we'll sell it to you because I don't think people are gonna. I don't think people are gonna. Uh, be happy with a controlled tailgating environment. They want it a free-for-all like it is in the States. It did not work for the Argos when they did their attempt at it yeah. because it just looked like it was a corporate thing. And yeah. it's the tailgating is the opposite of corporate. Yeah. You can't be uh, jumping on tables in a corporate setting. Not in a three-piece. Well, you could in a three-piece suit, but, you know, you might ruin your suit. Scott Radley's been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator, talking about tailgating. Want to promo the show? What do you got tonight? Do we know? Uh, we actually have a really interesting announcement coming up on the show tonight from, uh, from speaking of sports, from two local sports organizations. So tune in at 7 for that. All right, Scott Radley Show, heard tonight here on CHML. Thank you, Scott, as always. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots of chatter of late in regard to the legalization of marijuana, recreational marijuana. Of course, April 1st, uh, now available to buy it at retail stores, although uh, many in this province not open uh, and will not be open or we're not open to uh, to meet the uh, the deadline. That being said, uh, I guess in Hamilton, by the end of the month, they are saying that uh, the legal facilities here uh, will be open. But the debate continues well beyond uh, product and and. Uh, 
shortages of product and and stores and such. What about the health ramifications of all of this? And, you know, uh, many have sent us notes and said, why don't you talk more about this? And and we try to, but there's very little information uh, at this point. And the reason there's very little information on the effects of marijuana is because it was, up until recently, an illegal substance. Now that it is legal uh, and is, is making its way into our world, uh, if it's not all there, already there. Now there's being me, more research done. Many have questioned whether that research should have been done before the drug was legalized. Uh, to talk more about all of this, David Hammond is with us, associate professor at the University of Waterloo, and is with us now. David, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. It seems odd. You know, I'm a guy in my 50s. I remember uh, the, all the, the campaigns that have been going on for decades and decades and decades uh, trying to get people to stop smoking, trying to prevent kids from starting, uh, this sort of thing. How the attitude, watched how the attitude on smoking has changed uh, over a generation. And, you know, and obviously as a result, a lot less people smoke now than did uh, when we were kids. Uh, that being said, we've seemed to uh, envelop the whole marijuana uh, story in a different context. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find it odd that we're so attacked smoking a certain way, yet we're not really being as critical about marijuana? Well, you raise a good question. And I tell you the difference, as you said, we're cracking down more on tobacco and we've now legalized non-medical cannabis. Um, The difference is that we have somewhere around 40,000 Canadians a year that die from smoking tobacco. And we have somewhere around 100 or 200 that die from cannabis use. And most of that is from car accidents. Now, what's the difference? It's not because cannabis smoke is any less toxic or has fewer chemicals. It's that um, because nicotine is such an addictive drug, your average smoker in Canada smokes about 16 cigarettes a day, about three-quarters of a pack. Even heavy cannabis smokers don't smoke that many joints. So it means that they inhale less smoke than your average cigarette smoker. So smoke is just as dirty. It's just that cigarette tobacco cigarette smokers inhale a whole lot more of it. And so the direct effects of dirty smoke aren't as bad for cannabis as tobacco. So is the big difference between cigarettes and marijuana that there's nicotine in tobacco? Yeah. Anytime you light anything on fire, so most of the health effects from tobacco are from smoke. And that's why, you know, all the debate about e-cigarettes and vaping. And the bottom line is, is vaping is harmful. It is not safe but it's much less harmful than smoking because you don't have all the chemicals that happen when you light something on fire and you inhale smoke. Um, So, you know, most of the damage comes from the smoke and it's just purely driven by the fact that the drugs are different um, and that you'll have some. Look, don't get me wrong. If you smoke cannabis joints often enough and you inhale the same amount of smoke as you would from a regular cigarette, you're going to probably see similar respiratory effects. It's just that we use the drugs differently and we don't inhale inhale as much smoke from cannabis. So obviously getting back to nicotine, uh, nicotine part of the tobacco process or a chemical that is added later? You know, that's a great question. In fact, someone was saying an anecdote the other day, which is, oh, it's okay, I smoke additive-free tobacco. So nicotine is naturally occurring in the plant, the companies can, you know, monkey with it to have, you know, higher or lower levels. But even if it's 100% natural, additive-free, you have more than enough nicotine to promote and sustain addiction. And most of the bad things are just from lighting it on fire. So, you know, to use an analogy, is uh, additive organic tobacco any less harmful? It's like saying, well, we have an organically sourced, ethically sourced bullet, the result is the same. Uh, and there's a big myth that most of the bad things in cigarettes are things that big tobacco puts in there. That's not true. It's from inhaling smoke. So uh, so the nicotine that is in tobacco is naturally forming. It's naturally in the plant anyway. Is that Absolutely. accurate? Okay. And going back to the day when big cigarette companies, big tobacco tried to manipulate the scenario. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're going to add more stuff to these so you get more addicted and buy more. Is that them just adding more nicotine? You know what they did? So Canadian smokers will know that our Canadian cigarettes taste different from the U.S. American blend. So they do put more things in U.S. American blended cigarettes. But the main thing companies did is they 
they didn't make them any safer. They just made them easier to inhale. So remember the whole light, low-tar cigarettes? All they really did was dilute the smoke by poking little holes in the filter so that when you take a puff, you actually get some fresh air in there. Right. Now, that didn't make them any less harmful, but it actually makes it easier to inhale and it made it feel less harmful. So a lot of the manipulations were around people thinking they were less harmful rather than actually, you know, cigarettes today are actually as or potentially more lethal than cigarettes 50, 60 years ago. Um, Why is that? That's because these filtered cigarettes that dilute the air, the belief is that they make people right. inhale more deeply. Right. Whereas your old unfiltered, they're pretty nasty, and so maybe people didn't inhale quite as deeply. So is there any way for tobacco manufacturers to reduce the amount of these harmful chemicals in their product? Great question, and their own scientists have been asking that for 60 years. If you go into these court cases and read their confidential documents, even in the 50s, their own scientists said, you know what, we don't think we can clean smoke. We're trying, but smoke is so dirty that, you know, if we clean it a bit, it's like the difference between jumping off a 20th story building versus an 18th story. Hmm. Yeah, it looks a little better, but the end result is the same. Um, so the answer is no, and if you want something that's less harmful, you've got to do it without smoke. And that is why... Um, vaping and e-cigarettes, again, they still have harmful chemicals in there, but they don't have several thousand chemicals that are produced when you light something on fire. So the less harmful product is the one that doesn't deliver nicotine via smoke. So tobacco just naturally is worse for you than marijuana would be then because of the nicotine in the product itself. Because of, how, because of the drug and its reinforcement, it's how much smoke it leads us to inhale. So right. if, I, if you're wearing a tie or a T-shirt, any organic material light on fire, you're going to see some of the same carcinogens you do in cigarettes. The difference is, is how much smoke people inhale. So uh, what does vaping do that makes this a bit safer? Well, you just don't have, you know, regular tobacco smoke, about 70 different carcinogens. Again, most of it from combustion. Right. Um, and so it just doesn't have those. It still has some, uh, you know, very concerning chemicals. And that's why any young people out there, vaping is not safe, um, but it's going to be a lot less harmful than, uh, than inhaling smoke. And by the way, that's the same, that's the same is true for cannabis. If you're a really regular cannabis user... Don't inhale smoke. Vape it. Uh, there are other for- modes of administration available, but it's the same uh, lower risk message, which is don't inhale smoke when you take your drugs. We don't you know, prescribe pharmaceutical drugs to smoke, and, and the same should be true for recreational drugs. Uh, and vaping because it's hotter eliminates that because it's a higher temperature? You know what? It's just the opposite. Um, typically, two things. It doesn't start with like raw leaf, the organic material. It's actually nicotine in a solution. So you have fewer chemicals to begin with. And it actually heats it to a lower temperature to the point of vaporization. If you heat that too high, you can see some combustion and it'll produce some smoke. So it actually heats it to a lower temperature. Hmm. And what about the risks of vaping? Uh, Is there something in there that we're not aware of? We might, you know, because you're you're eliminating some of those uh, Mm -hmm. carcinogens, then obviously it's a bit safer. But is it presenting a whole other problem? I mean, look, there are chemicals in there uh, that, you know, anytime you inhale chemicals into your lungs repeatedly, uh, there's likely to be some health risk. And so the sad thing is, is that we're not going to know for 10 or 20 years because most of these chronic diseases take that long to develop, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. But the idea is that there should be a lot less cancer. Um, you know, you don't want to be ingesting any drugs regularly if you're pregnant, um, and, but we don't really know. But we know enough to say now that if you're an, if you're an established smoker and this is the only way you're going to quit smoking, it'll be better for you. Right. You've got to quit smoking. If you're a kid, you shouldn't be doing any of it. Now, getting back to legalization of recreational marijuana, um, many have said that we don't, doctors especially will say, we don't have enough research on marijuana to, to, to have any sort of mm-hmm. history or anything to gauge mm-hmm. it on because it's been illegal. Now that, it's, now that it is legal, will we see much more testing? Yeah. What do you think, what sort of information do you think we're going to find out in the next couple of years on this? No doubt uh, that's the case. We're learning a lot about THC levels, which is the, the uh, component that makes you feel high. 
uh, some of your listeners may have heard of CBD. That doesn't make you feel high, but it might account for some of the medicinal properties. So we'll learn a lot more about those chemicals. I think we're going to learn about um, about things like, you know, there are concerns if people are susceptible to psychosis, especially young people. Uh, we're learning more and more about cannabis and driving. Um, and it just opens all sorts of doors for research. And by the way, Canada will undoubtedly become a leader in that because federally they still can't do that in the U.S. So what legalization means is we can talk about it, we can talk to users, and we can do research in a way that we couldn't for many, many years. Should there, been a way, should there have been a way to do research on all of this before it was legalized? In theory, it, it seems was. that we're putting the the cart before the horse here. Well, in theory, there was, uh, but it was so difficult that you know almost nobody did it. Uh, you know, look, I mean, I think if you ask the government, they'll say that they legalized this because the health burden is way less than alcohol. It's way less than tobacco, and there are direct harms from throwing people in jail and having all the money go to illicit, you know, enterprises. But uh, that doesn't mean it's safe, and what we're really figuring out here is what's the best regulatory mix for making sure that young people don't use this and that people, if they use it, they do it in a way that minimizes harm. If um, uh, uh, government said that the, the reasons that they, one of the reasons are, uh, that they've legalized this is that they want to eliminate the black market, yeah. control production, um, that sort of thing, that being said, Will they not have to drop the price substantially lower than the black market in order to to make a dent in that? Or, and if they don't, are they just introducing the product, which is now legal, to more potential customers? Well, that's the $6 billion question, which is what we think the cannabis market is worth in Canada. So they probably don't need to go below it. Most Canadians have given a choice to you know, buy cannabis illegally, where you don't quite know what you're getting, or legally, they'll go the legal route. Um, but as you referenced at the start of this segment, <laughs> it's going to take us another year or two before we have a full retail system. I live in Kitchener-Waterloo, where we're not, we don't have any stores. The nearest store will be Hamilton or Toronto. So when you look at the nine or ten U.S. states that have done this, it often takes years before you get everything up and running. At that point, um, how is that not fueling the black market? Well, because you basically said, "Yeah, it's you go for it. The no laws, uh, you know, you're allowed to do it, but there's no, there's no process. There's well, no I product." I think you're right, and so we'd expect more people to shift as we actually have more stores. There's reasons why people don't want to go online because you have to give the government your credit card, and someone delivers it to your house. So this thing doesn't happen overnight. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's going to need to be more accessible if you're really going to compete with the illicit market. Because trust me, it is very easy to buy illicit cannabis online, you know, in person, et cetera. So this is a this is a process, not a single event. Uh, do you think that we're we seem to be viewing marijuana now like it's almost a miracle drug? Yeah. Look, there's so many different things that it can do, uh, and it's not as harmful for uh, for you as tobacco. It's almost again going back to the attitudes. Yeah. Uh, a smoker, people will walk outside a door, and if there's a puff of cigarette smoke, they'll they'll, yeah. they'll give the eagle eye to the person, yeah. the snake eye, you know. Whereas yeah. if it's if it's a joint. Apparently, there's no problem. Are, are we going to think differently five years from now? Oh, I think so. I think Canadians think a little differently than they did two years ago. But, um, the, you know, marijuana cannabis, it's, it's amazing because there are big parts of the population that underestimate the risk, and there are big parts that overestimate it. And, yeah, there are some therapeutic, demonstrated therapeutic benefits to it. But, this, you know, the stuff you read about it curing cancer and curing all sorts of disease is, frankly, nonsense. Um, and so we've got work to do with people on both sides of the margins, which is this is not like, you know, opioids and cocaine like we used to tell people 20, 30 years ago, um, but nor is this a benign prod, uh, a product. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots of work to do, and this is a big education exercise, and we'll see where we get to. You know, I completely forgot about that. I remember many saying this is a gateway drug. Yeah. It's a gateway drug. Well, we've just legalized a gateway drug. Well, and, you know, alcohol, if that's the case, though, yeah, I mean, you know, drinking milk is a gateway drug and that we try it typically before we do other things. So <laughs> we the, the reason why we use some drugs before others is because they're easier to get. And so it always used to be the case that it was, you know, cigarettes and alcohol first and then cannabis and then harder drugs. 
that says less about the drugs themselves just than how common they are to encounter it and how old we are when we get there. So, look, you know, no one's going to become an addict living in the alley from trying a joint on a Friday night. Um, but there are real health effects to young kids using cannabis regularly. And that's the priority here, which is, you know, if you've got a young person using it daily or um, anything close to that, that's a big sign for problems. And so, um, you know, we need to keep an eye on that. And, and we're, we're going to be arguing about Gateway in 30 years from now, just like we were 30 years ago. What about taxation on this? Because, you know, April 1st, uh, taxation, uh, a new taxation system started on alcohol, where every year it will go up. Uh, by the price of inflation, whereas we remember the old days in a budget, they would announce the sin taxes and, yeah. and people would be up in arms. They've avoided that by, well, we'll just do it every year. Yeah. And in alcohol, we are taxed up the yin-yang for yeah. it. You know, if you buy it here as opposed to the United States, how are they going to balance this with marijuana? How do they justify keeping the tax down on marijuana while the al- alcohol companies are getting shellacked? Well, it's a good question. We don't have a lot of uh, illicit alcohol trade. Uh, in Canada. So, I mean, I think the initial piece is, look, they are creating a legal market from nothing here. And so it probably justifies some a different approach, at least initially. But let's see where we're at in about 20 years. You know, I mean, the, the general sense is, look, Canadians spent somewhere around six or seven billion dollars on cannabis the year before it was legal. Um, you know, as a society, we probably benefit from that if some of that money is going back into schools and roads and hospitals rather than, you know, mm-hmm. the hell's angels. So that's the principle. But, you know, it is a science to get the, the tax rate correct. And the government, for example, just said that they might be taxing some super high THC products at a higher level than lower ones. And that's a way of using them sort of as a health measure to try and reduce risk. But we're in sort of day one of a very long process and figuring out the tax rate is is one of those issues. David Hammond has been with us, Associate Professor, University of Waterloo, talking about the science behind marijuana. Dave, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Take care. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.